2021 is finally here, and we're hoping to live long and prosper. Uh, we'll see how the year turns out, but one thing that I'm using to distract myself is a new show with Star Trek Discovery as we talk about Season 1 on Episode 91 of the podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Buffet Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Prosek. Jessica Quaz is still away for a little bit, working on some things. Uh, and in the interim, uh, we're going to be having guests over the next handful of episodes. Today, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 1. Um, I have two guests with me, one who is a lifelong Star Trek uh, full-on Trekkie fan and someone else who's like myself, which seen some things but not converted to Trekkieism yet. Um, with me is Monica Burns and Matthew Burns. How are you guys doing today? Good. Pretty good. Uh, so, uh, before we get started, like most podcasts do, please share, like, subscribe, leave a comment on Apple, all the things, you know, to support us on Spotify or YouTube or Apple, wherever you are listening to us today. We would really appreciate it. Um... And you can find Entertainment Buffet on YouTube, at Entertainment Buffet on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 1 that's available on CBS All Access, which I often forget is a streaming service in itself. But uh, let's go ahead and introduce who we have with us today. Um, and we're going to each go over our general Star Trek experience before we jump into Season 1. Uh so yeah, Monica, um, why don't you uh, go ahead and tell us kind of your Star Trek experience over the years. How much have you seen? I would describe myself as a tud. Like, I'm a Trekkie under duress. Because <laughs> um, I, <grew> up... <laughs> I grew up with a traumatic Star Trek exposure. My brother always tortured me with it, like... Even before that, aliens were kind of iffy for me. He would, like, wear the E.T., like, an E.T. puppet that was, like, straight from Disney. So it was, like, real nice and, like, hide underneath my bed and, like, terrify me with it. And then there was, like, the Ferengi and there was Worf and it was just too much. Um, and he'd scare me with it. And then Matt introduced me to, he, he just, I mean... It's a big part of Matt's experience, so it came up a lot. So we needed to watch it. It was just, it was, it's what needed to happen. <laughs> and, um, he, what, what did you introduce me to? You tried with the movies, and mm -hmm. I was just not having it. The J.J. Um, the the, Abrams movies? The original, no, original series. Movies. Oh, like, the original, yeah. like first contact. He's like, this one's good. Well, no, I tried first. Yeah, I'm first, telling you, this actually, one's good. I did try some of the Next Generation movies. I tried introducing her to First Contact and she watched the first 15 minutes then predicted the ending and fell asleep and it pissed me off. <laughs> she was right. <laughs> predicted the ending, fell asleep. Yeah. I've seen enough. <laughs> and then I woke up and criticized it. Um, <laughs> so, no. original movies didn't work. 
Um, yeah, I mean, so that wasn't, like, that wasn't a negative experience for me. It just wasn't, you know. Um, but then I saw the J.J. Abrams movies, and they, they're a lot of fun. They were aesthetically pleasing, they were fast, and, you know, it was showing a different perspective on Star Trek. And then, um... Because I think at the time I hadn't considered that um, a, a thing, like a, a intellectual property like that, can have different voices. Sure. You know, I always think that they kind of go towards a singular voice. Anyway, so um, that happened, and then that made me more open to when Matt was talking more about, like, Deep Space Nine and why that one's different. Because I always complained about how idealistic and, like, utopian Star Trek is, and I just... I don't like that because it doesn't um, describe real life. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you are in, in the future does not make life any easier. It does not make humanity any easier to deal with. Like, we're all still in the pits one way or another. And that's just not how I think life in a fucking submarine in space. <laughs> I, don't, I just, I, it's not, it breaks the verisimilitude for me. Uh-huh. So, um, that was the thing that I always talked about, and then Matt was like, but this one's different, man. And so that's exactly how he talks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he, he was totally right. He showed me Deep Space Nine, and I liked it. He has a abridged cut, like a, a watch list that is much shorter um, and tailored. And that, that makes me appreciate the um, serialization. But um, I think the Discovery, when he showed me Discovery, and I was like, we have to get CBS All Access or whatever. Uh, I, was, I was happy we did. You know, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a really good show. So as we were saying, Matthew, you are a lifelong Star Trek fan. You are a Trekkie. Mm-hmm. Uh, please tell us your experience with this franchise uh well i watched next generation on its original run deep space nine on its original run uh voyager's original run uh the only one i didn't watch the original run was enterprise because it just always conflicted with my work schedule for like the four seasons or so it was on the air uh and i have a weird thing with like scott Bak- scott bacula i don't know it just seemed strange to me to have the quantum leap guy as the captain because <laughs> um, i grew up with that show too but, uh, yeah, I've been watching it for almost my entire life. Um, all the movies. All the, all the, all the movies. Uh, Star Trek books. I had, at one point, probably like 90% of the books on my bookshelf were like ah. Star Trek-related books. Like, non-canon. Like, non-canon stuff and canon stuff, um, depending on what it was. Did you ever um, try writing fan fiction? <laughs> I did not. Okay. <laughs> Just, Wait, I'm always curious. <laughs> Yeah, no fan, no fan fiction. <laughs> you had to think about yeah, it. I did, that's, I did. that's a missed opportunity. Honestly, you should consider. Maybe I'll go back. I can go back and uh, reread some of those books. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of the books, the books are non-canon, so a lot of the books were basically like glorified fan fiction because they're non-canon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so you've seen everything you said except for uh, Enterprise, except for Enterprise, and I've only watched kind of some of the core episodes of. Uh, the original series, like um, City on the Edge of Tomorrow, things like that. So I've seen... Um, no, City on the Edge of Forever. I'm going to get yelled at. Um, 
And uh, so yeah, so I've seen I've seen some of those, but yeah, most of my experience is the movies, and then Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Which so there's like what seven shows? Like there are so many Star Trek shows over the years, and then probably what a dozen movies. You know, like there's a there's mm-hmm. a good chunk. Um, so that's where I'll kind of come in with my Star Trek experience. Which the reason why I wanted to have multiple guests on this is because my experience is next to none. I didn't grow up watching it. Um, it wasn't until about college uh, that a friend was who was a Trekkie was like, I want to show all of you Wrath of Khan, especially because a lot of us in the friend group hadn't seen any Star Trek. So Wrath of Khan is often considered the best movie of all the Star Treks. I watched that. I kind of understood the, the fan base with it, but I think the longest time I was intimidated on where to start because there are just there's so many shows so many movies what's connected to what um so i felt when you guys were both telling me how good discovery was i'm like well maybe this is a good point to just kind of jump in because it's an entirely new show that's only been out for a few years now um it's still on and also uh because it's on CBS All Access, it has you know less restrictions than something would if it were on actual television. Um, and yeah, it's uh, I, it's made me very interested in the uh, whole Star Trek franchise as a whole and want to maybe start dabbling in some Next Generation, start dabbling in some Deep Space Nine, um, possibly once once I finish Discovery, but. So that's that's all of our bases, you know. Monica has seen some; she's kind of in the middle. Matt has seen just about everything. I've seen next to nothing. <laughs> so we have a few different bases before uh, we get into this discussion of season one of Discovery. Um, the first thing I really wanted to talk about with this season was the crazy ass first two episodes, um, because you know because it's on CBS All Access, uh, they, they don't. They aren't confined to the commercial, you know, having to be 42 minutes to fit into an hour. Um, They all are about anywhere from 40 to 50 minutes. Uh, They're kind of flexible. But uh, those first two episodes are crazy. And and I'll give some bullet points. And yes, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen Discovery, check out season one on CBS All Access. I can't believe I'm plugging it, but like, I, I think it's, if you're going to get it, it's worth it for Discovery. So... You know, Michael Burnham, our main character, kills a Klingon torchbearer. This first episode ends with her having to do a mutiny on her captain, Giorgio, and then the Klingons arrive. And it's just like shit's hitting the fan right away. And it ends on a cliffhanger. And and more than that, like, Michael Burnham, the, the betrayal between Michael Burnham and um, Giorgio is so huge. Like, mm-hmm. they really reinforce somehow in the time that they like have. Like the 40-minute episode. They have the ability to build just how strong the relationship is between Giorgio and um, Michael. I think that it just goes to show what a huge dive this is in character. It's like they said, what is what is the direct polar opposite of this character that we've had this amount of time to establish and flipped it on its head. Let's make them their own worst enemy. Yeah. And then make you make you sympathetic to them somehow. Yeah. So 
that's where the first episode ends. Um, we also see that, like, you know, Klingons uh, are kind of forming, you know, uh, sort of an alliance between clans and such. Uh, episode two ends with Giorgio being killed, uh, the kind of Messiah Takuvma uh, being killed from the Klingons, and then Michael is sentenced to life in prison uh, for mutiny. So that's where episode two ends. It's like... We show episode one where we kind of introduce to Saru and Giorgio and Michael. We think this is going to be the crew we're following because every Star Trek show follows a crew. And then all this shit happens. And then just so that we know, episode three jumps six months. We're in the middle of a Klingon war. And it's like, what the fuck is going on on this show? (laughs) (laughs) The pedals to the metal. (laughs) It's it's like, if you haven't seen this show and... It's like, well, spoilers, Brandon. You're telling us the two main characters die? Like, that is the breaking breakneck speed that the show moves at. It's like you're at the top of a, a ladder and you're just falling down it. And it's just... But you somehow are able to follow. It did take me, I think, by the... Th- I watched it the first time with you and I was admittedly like... For some reason with Star Trek, I have to like kind of passively watch it, get the general details, and then kind of try it again. Um... It just shows how quickly, how much story they have to fall through. Yeah. And you're, but you're able to follow it um, well enough just because you're able to grab onto the, who these people are. Yeah. And so one thing I'll say, and then uh, I want to ask Matt about this is, so in, in episode three, like I said, it starts with, we jump six months forward from the previous two episodes events. And Michael is picked up by Captain Lorca, played by Jason Isaacs who, um, you know, is often a villain uh, character and things. And this is Discovery. This is the ship, because that threw me in the first episode, that that the ship was Shenzhou. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I was like, wait, the show is usually the name of the ship. See, I don't know who Jason, Jason Isaacs is, like... What he's what he's yeah from. he's from um, I know the he's, Patriot uh, yeah he's the big villain in the he's Patriot big, I love him in that yeah uh, Harry Potter films he's uh, he's, he's Malfoy's a, dad yeah that's Malfoy's dad the long blonde hair yeah. yeah Jason Isaacs just has one of these like super angular like villain faces he's always a yeah resting villain face he's got resting villain face uh, it's a diagnosable offense uh, so I. So this is where we're introduced to the ship of Discovery. We see that Saru is on it. We see that uh, Lorca is the captain. And that's where, to me, it felt like the first two episodes. And I actually looked up. It seemed like the writer said the same thing. That first two episodes are almost like a prologue. Mm-hmm. And then episode three is kind of the pilot. Which is mm-hmm. such an interesting way to look at storytelling in comparison to previous shows and previous Star Trek shows, I'm sure. Yeah. Where back in the day, usually you had to make a pilot, pilot had to get approved, and then you could do more. I think this show was just greenlit for 15 episodes, mm-hmm. and therefore they're like, well, we don't need to introduce everything in the first episode. We can have shit go crazy and then be like now episode three this is the show that you're watching so when you were watching it the first time matt um i'm sure that this was way faster than other shows yeah um a lot of action the budget seems great on this show so like Mm -hmm. what were your first impression you're watching these first episodes 
in comparison to all the other Star Treks you've watched? Uh, when I first watched it, I was actually a little bit worried that they were following a bit more of the same thread of the J.J. Abrams movies, because I think they're very solid movies, but they're different spiritually from what the shows have historically done. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit worried they were going to be going like very, very action-heavy the entire time, where you have, you know... Uh, Spock and Khan punching each other in the face on top of a shuttle flying through a city or whatever it was. And yeah, well, they're starting with a Klingon war. They're starting with a Klingon war, which is something that's been referenced many times um, in the series, but we've never really like seen directly. Okay, so that's why I was going to ask, have any of the shows ever had a war with the Klingons? Not a, no, well, not directly involving the Federation. There was some stuff involving Klingon wars in Deep Space Nine. There was always references to Klingon war, uh, wars in next generation by the time of next generation federation and klingons were allies in the original series which takes place you know t- uh, um, on the timeline takes place after discovery there were still like tensions between the klingons and the federation but not a full-on war interesting so okay so that's something i had no idea of i figured one of the shows had to have covered some war time so this is the first one that they jump into an actual war mm-hmm. and this is how the show is starting and i just found it so crazy um because like i said i thought Giorgio was going to be one of the main characters i thought takuma was going to be a main character for the klingons mm-hmm. and they're both killed in episode two uh and then episode three we introduce the entire new crew where we introduce tilly we introduce stamets um uh we introduce Lorca. um saru is back and then, um, yeah, that's where we kind of are introduced to the... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and one thing I want to want to mention is that they're also, like, introduced in a way where we're made to think that they're going to be important characters. Cause, uh, so I'm going to spoil the pilots of Voyager and Deep Space Nine if anybody wants to skip me, my, my voice. But uh, uh, at the beginning of Voyager... Um, you know, there's a, there's a, the, the ship is pulled across the galaxy in a, uh, by a, uh, by a being, the, the ship is whipped across the galaxy. A lot of crew members are killed. Okay. Um, but the crew members that, that are killed are ones that either we never saw on screen or ones that were only shown for like a brief, brief flash of a moment. Like the doctor, the, the ship's, uh, chief of medicine is killed. The ship's chief engineer is killed. The first officer is killed. Um, but they're never characters that we really like had, got a chance to know. They don't have heavy dialogue. They're not introduced with a lot of like, like what Monica was bringing up earlier between the relationship of Giorgio <laughs> and Michael is they clearly establish this is a, uh, almost, I don't want to say a mother daughter relationship, but clearly a mentor, a it's, best friend, also mother relationship, mm-hmm. no, all it, molded into one. It's yeah. very maternal, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think clearly Giorgio is grooming. She believes Michael will be a captain someday. Like, oh, it's not, yeah. I don't know if it's said precisely, but it's, mm, yeah. it's very heavily implied. And I'm like, okay, so that's where the show's going to go. <clears throat> At some point, she's going to take over Discovery or something. But I'm like, but this is Shenjo. This is. What is happening? Yeah. Um, And the fact that by the end of the first episode, she has to betray Giorgio. Yeah. Um, So I find it interesting that none of the other, well, like some of the other pilots kind of start with some deaths and whatever, but nothing with such heavy implications. But also, um, I can see your point. I think the reason why a lot of people enjoyed the JJ movies is because, and I haven't seen them fully to, I've only read about them and heard from what I understood was he took the love of Star Trek and kind of made it a more blockbuster slash almost Star Wars-like 
popcorn accessibility to it opposed mm. to Star Trek shows, which seem to have much more uh, maybe either like political things or religious things or messages that are deeper and mm-hmm. like there's more thought provoking things. Whereas he's like, here, I'm going to give you a fun, entertaining two hours. Yeah. Like when you think of some of like some of my favorite episodes and a lot of people's favorite episodes of Star Trek, they're episodes that feature almost no action. I think of uh, the episode duet on Deep Space Nine in the first season where it's basically. Uh, Major Kira and a Cardassian uh, in, interrogating each other for an hour, debating uh, ethics. Debating, yeah, debating ethics. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of the fir- probably actually the first actual good Next Generation episode, which was uh, season two, The Measure of a Man, where it was a, a doctors, if I can remember correctly, arguing over whether or not uh, Data could basically be um, killed, so they could like analyze him, so they could they, 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 they could study him and dissect him. Um, to find out what made it work, since Data is the only cyborg and uh, or, or the only mechanical creature in in the Federation. Okay. Um, where it's it's a lot more of like legal and ethical arguments about like you know what makes a human, what's 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 right and wrong in the face of violence and danger mm-hmm. in Deep Space Nine's case. Um, yeah. Whereas JJ's were much more. It was much more action focused. It was a lot less of that and a lot more. And I mean, they were they're they're great for what they are. I think they're. Very fun films to watch, but they're very different than the the shows. The shows. I th- I think yeah he 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 certainly was going for something that would make it digestible to try to pull in people like me who hadn't watched any shows, and I'm sure you know there are things of there uh, I'll enjoy. But so the reason why I wanted to bring up the general craziness of the first couple episodes is to talk about how that plays a. Uh, a similar speed the whole season. There is no, like, oh, those two episodes were crazy, and then it slows down and has filler episodes and has uh, just a lot of... Like, it has character building, and it has, like, uh, arcs happening, but it's just so fast. And so, like, for example, uh, because, you know, I've finished the first season, I want to go back. I, like, as a writer, like to see the pacing of... Uh, thing. So, for example, Ash Tyler, who became the security officer, was introduced in episode five, where he was a prisoner of war for the Klingons, uh, introduced to Lorca. That's episode five. And then by episode seven is kissing and having a love intro, uh, story with Michael Burnham. And so it's like, that's only... And he also, in episode five, I don't think he even spoke to Michael. So that was all six and seven, just boom, 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 boom. Here's the thing. Here we go. Um, Admittedly, though, episode six is the weird time travel. Seven is. Oh, okay. So that's where they, quote unquote, like, without you seeing, build a relationship, right? Yeah. Um, But they have to, like, really trust each other and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, like, another thing, just to introduce the the speed of the show, uh, three, we are introduced the monster, the the, the tardigrade, um, where it's kind of like. It's like that episode towards the end becomes like a horror movie where they're on a ship with this monster and they're Mm -hmm. running from it. And then episode four, they realize they can use it to make these basically teleportation jumps. And then that tardigrade also kills Landry, who's like a commanding officer for Lorca. And so that was like, to me, very like, which... You go ahead. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that bitch. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like her. But yeah, she gets killed right away because she gets cocky and doesn't listen to Michael. Bye. But the fact that we introduced this monster in three and then by four, they've already 
figured out how to make this device that I knew I was like well this is going to play a factor for the rest of the season if not the show that they have the technology to teleport and it's not just oh warp or light speed you know it is like we're going to be here boom we're here and I thought that was I'm like this is going so fast and I and when I bring this up I'm not saying it because I'm criticizing it I'm just so used to plenty of television shows and even movies stretching stretching things and taking their time one of the reasons I can't stand and this is a totally different franchise but why I was getting really frustrated with like Green Arrow and or Arrow and The Flash is these 26 episode seasons I'm like dear god this is taking forever. I don't care anymore. Whereas like this is just like we're going to make every episode matter. Every episode either there's a death or a major plot point or consequences that will change for the rest of the season. So when you guys were watching, because um, Matt, uh, I'll ask you, were you watching this like week to week when they were releasing it? Did you binge it? We we, uh, we binged it when we first watched it. It was after season one had already finished. Okay. Um, so I think we ended up watching it over the span of like a week or less. Okay. <laughs> so when you guys were watching it, were you just like, this is fucking nuts? <laughs> I have, so I'm so I was curious. overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed for sure because of the, I think the Klingon portions I got lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I like I said I have a p- particular watch style, and especially when it's something big, I I know I'm gonna have to watch it a couple times. So, um, I'll do it passively, and then I had to watch it again to really get it. And then I watched it a third time, and that's when I I actually uh, I think the second time was the big buy-in, and then now I'm just like I really really enjoy it. Um, and like. I can't. I can't criticize it. I. I don't know. Yeah. So, the 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 pacing, um, just within mm-hmm. like we'll just say the first mid season of those nine episodes, like so much happens, mm-hmm. and um, then we have the four episode arc in the uh, second half of the season where they end up in the the Terran separate universe, uh, and then by the end of towards the end of that four episode arc. The big twist that Captain Larka is from the Terran universe, mm-hmm. is evil, was using Discovery this whole time, and uh, was just trying to take over who in that universe was Emperor Giorgio. And I just, I was like, wow, I thought this would be like a season two or season three finale big reveal didn't even make it to the first season finale. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it happened around episode 12 to 13 of mm-hmm. 15. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you guys, were you afraid of not being picked up? And you're like, well, we're going to do as much shit as possible. And again, it's like, regardless of who the listener is, whether you've seen the show or you haven't seen the show, if you haven't seen the show, we are spoiling a bunch, but it does not matter because there is so much packed in to these episodes that a you're probably gonna forget and b like there's so much yeah, yeah. um and if for me it was a big change because especially the series that i grew up with um, i mean deep, deep space nine is the only one that became fully 
serialized basically by its later seasons mm-hmm. um not exactly week to week but they there's plot lines that get picked up that start in season two that don't finish until season which seven. one is this deep space, deep space nine yeah, okay um so. yeah there's there's extended plot the deep space nine was the first of these series to really have like very extended plot lines mm-hmm. whereas you know you'd have every now and then a two two tops maybe three off on like next generation um and then a couple of like a couple of multi-parters on voyager but nothing that stretch the entire throughout the entire season where deep space nine you have character arcs that stretch throughout all seven seasons sure but in between there because they were broadcast network television in the 90s that had to be a lot of filler episodes because they were doing about 28 episode seasons i think something yeah, like that something um, usually yeah. they ask for anywhere from 23 to 28 episode seasons yeah which if they're all 42 minutes that's a lot of content yeah guys. so so <laughs> for a every, lot of content for every especially in the early seasons like i have like an abridged deep space nine season one watch list which makes sure to focus on episodes like the pilot and then uh the episode duet which is the one that i mentioned with um with major kira interrogating the cardassian but then there's also in season one of deep space nine an episode called move along home which is one of the worst episodes of the entire series which literally <laughs> has the crew playing hopscotch and singing <laughs> <laughs> which i think we should watch that one right now uh, <laughs> but no i yeah, it's. Uh, I, I did also appreciate the fact that when they did the four-so episode arc of them being in the Terran universe, that they didn't rush getting back to normal time. You know, they did make four episodes out of it, but a lot happened in those four episodes. Mm-hmm. A lot of character work, that's where they fully reveal that Tyler had... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, a Volk, parasite. Uh, yeah, Volk... Uh, inserted into him uh, and was Klingon basically and that the Lorca twist and that Michael had to obviously deal with the emotional struggle of seeing Taryn Giorgio who she watched her Giorgio die and just to see this terrible version who's an emperor and a murderer um, and then just juggle with the fact that um, they want to get home and uh, there's a lot going on, but it uh, had a they had a great juxtaposition of taking their time, but also giving you a lot to to digest and a lot to process. And so I loved that. And also, to me, one of the most shocking deaths because it was so sudden was when Tyler kills Doctor Culber. That was very like holy fuck. Yeah. Like, I, I think he, I was watching it with you, Monica, and I went, <gasps> I know. <laughs> I did a legit, like, not exaggerated, I gasped, because I was thinking for a brief second, I was like, wait, that's not Taryn that- Culber, that's real Culber, yeah. this is not a dream sequence, he's dead, what the fuck? Yeah. And, and more significantly, this isn't Star Trek. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, the, the traditional Star Trek, they... I'm not sure that they would have done something that extreme. Well, no, they have, they've, there's like jokes on Family Guy and stuff about and <laughs> stuff with like you know the the whole idea of the red shirt was because in the original series gold used to be command, red was red was security. They've switched those around in the in the more recent season in the more recent series or in the series following the original series, I should say. Um, and then you know you have blue for for medical and whatnot. But uh, the idea of a red shirt was like you know like the away team will consist of uh, will consist of. Uh, Spock, Kirk, McCoy, and Ensign Ricky. And Ricky's just like, ah, crap. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it's uh, which that was one of the few things I knew about Star Trek lore was that red shirts die. Yeah, you know, uh, but they were but always the, meaningless but, characters. But your where, your main characters are invincible. They can, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas like this show, it's season seven of Game of Thrones. But yeah, exactly. It's, it's more than that. It, it's it's not just like the is are they the right color or whatever. It's it's the Star Trek characters aren't capable of doing of committing something like that. Like. Right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not something that they would normally Snapping do. Snapping someone's neck? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that was very, that's... like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, Deep Space Nine was one of the first series to kill off... Well, I mean, they, they killed off a main character in Deep Space Nine. Um, they killed off a main character in the very early in Next Generation because she wanted out of her contract. Um, right, but killing her off by fucking beheading her? Yeah, yeah, they, there, was nothing, that, like, there was nothing with that, that visceral, like... He pops up and snaps his neck. Yeah, it's never. It's nothing like that. It's like it's always it, it's, like yes, I conspired and poisoned this person. It's and it's, it's slow paced and like the person gets a chance to like calculating. say. Well, the person gets a chance to like say a proper goodbye usually and stuff like that. Or like, like yeah, like, <laughs> a monologue maybe. They get, they get to monologue. Whereas this, no, he's standing there and then he just snaps his neck and he's dead. He's dead. And I I think it was very shocking because. Like most people, I, I loved Colbert. You know, I think they did a great job writing. He's so sweet. I think the actor was incredible. I loved the relationship of him and Stamets. Um, I think it was very genuine. Um, Ugh, his smile. He has such a sweet face. I just want to pinch his cheeks and make him a sandwich. <laughs> and I think they knew that killing a character like that would be the most gut-wrenching. It, like, the only other people who may be just as or more gut-wrenching would be, like, Tilly or Saru. You know, people mm-hmm. who uh, are objectively just good people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're and, part of the gang. And, and they're usually, like, they get comedic things. They're just, they're people you like, actors you like, and Colbert was like that. He was very, very likable. There's almost yeah. no... Bad qualities to him. <laughs> yeah, and one, one thing I'll even add, it's the only, that's the only, like, actual, I mean, yes, there's that, like, love arc between Tyler and uh, and Michael, but um, Stamets and Culber's, like, it's the only actual relationship we see on the show. Yeah, and that is that is the one, like, love. Yeah, it's the love story, it's one of the, lo- it's the only love story we actually see on the show, like, the, like the stable relationship, and it's, like... <sighs> the only time we actually get to see Stamets behave like in a human... Because Stamets is like, he's incredibly intelligent. He's like, you know, he's he's very standoffish when he's working. The The most human moments you get with him are the moments that he's with yeah, his well, husband. Yeah, he's, he's in his quarters with his husband. Yeah. And there's usually, they're like brushing their teeth and yeah. having a talk. And I, I felt, yeah, very con- uh, connected to that. Uh, I forgot, like you said, it's really the only love uh, story. And also... What I liked about it is it wasn't a love story that developed. They were already they were together yeah. when they're introduced and it's just we're in their love. And like there is conflicts or arguments, but for the most part you both know that both people love them. There's no cheating happening. There's no uh, love triangle. There's no conflict of that sort. They just are in love yeah. and he's a sweet character. And to see him go in such a aggressive fashion, I think that was the best way to show that the Klingon part of uh, Tyler was not fucking around. <laughs> yeah. This is like point number 748 of like why 
this show is doing something about diversity and not being woo-woo about it. Yeah, which now that like we've kind of covered the season, that's one thing I wanted to talk about was overall the diversity in the show I found I just I really think that the relationship between those two, the main love story you're getting isn't a heteronormative story. It's between two scientists who are both male and they are just very different and I don't know, it's just such a it's um everything every layer that they add with, with the whole diversity thing is just and they're breaking so many yeah, like, yeah. Go ahead. Like one, like one thing I think about it. I mean, it's it's kind of almost counterintuitive that we're calling attention to it, but we we have to call attention to it. But it's like one of the things because that they makes do it, it so effortlessly. Well, like, that's one of the things that makes it so effective is because most shows, especially like, I mean, especially like in history, most shows if they had a a gay couple, it would basically be the entire episode episode arcs would basically being like them sitting there with a twirling baton, being like, "Hey, look at this gay couple here. We have a gay couple here," and just like making such a huge deal out of it. Whereas I mean, this is just treated like a regular. Well, look at look at Star uh, they, they, Star Wars with the the like the manu it wasn't even manufactured outrage. It was it was like manufactured like Twitter traffic or whatever when they had the first gay kiss on Star Wars or whatever. So I was just gonna bring that up. So, in the the newest trilogy of Star Wars movies, a lot of people wanted Jason Isaac's character and uh, uh, John Boyega, uh, I believe are their names, to be Finn and Poe, to be a love story. Sorry, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, yeah, Jason Isaac. I'm thinking of Jason Isaac's (laughs) uh, Lorca. Uh, Yeah, Oscar Isaac. Thank you. that a lot of people wanted them to be a relationship, which I thought would have been a great payoff for where those characters were introduced in the first movie by the third movie to have them be in love and to have a gay, biracial relationship in a heavy, uh, over 40-year-long franchise. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it. The only sort of gay uh, representation they gave was li- was right? literally two background pilot women kissing as the camera panned by and it's as if disney or jj and all those people probably wanted uh uh praise for doing that Mm -hmm. when star trek discovery in particular and and i'm uh, I'm not sure if this is the first time in star trek history but they have a biracial gay uh couple that there is no coming out story there is no uh, oh, we're gay. Da 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 da. It is How just. How are we gonna break it to the rest of the crew? Yeah, yeah. And it's our not a, kids. It's not a big deal. They're just together, and the fans have to deal with it, whether they have a problem with that or not. And, yeah. and I loved that because. We have to bring attention to it because it's like this is how it should be done. <laughs> yeah, um, there's um, so you mentioned like the first time in Star Trek history. Um, so they they did try to do things with this, especially on Deep Space Nine. Um, mm-hmm. But they were told uh, at times they were told to tone it down. So the character of Garrick, who's one of my favorites on Deep Space Aww. Nine in the first season, he's played much more of like a kind of a, in a bisexual way, and Paramount actually like told them that he had to tone it down and make him more, like, overtly heterosexual to the point where he eventually was, like, in a relationship with a female character. Of course. Um, But they, uh, like, in the Deep Space Nine documentary, they talked about how they specifically wanted to play him as more of a bisexual character and were told to tone it down by the studio. And then Deep Space Nine also has... It's got to be one of the first, if not the first, like, primetime broadcast television appearances of two women, like... 
passionately kissing each other. Mm-hmm. And the way they kind of stepped around a little bit was there's a, a character, Jadzia, in Deep Space Nine, and the way that they kind of walked around it is she's a trill, and trills had like go from host to host. So basically, a, a worm inside of a yeah. So body. it was basically like she had met up with a former host that had used to be in a different body. So they had been married when they were in a normal heterosexual relationship. Of course, now they were both women, but they were still in love with each other. And then they kissed at one point in the series. See, that's the thing is like they can do a thing, but then they have to justify it by some other thing. Yes. Whereas like Discovery and and not to the fault of those like you said clearly they were trying to do it but executives and higher powers shot them down or yeah. told them to tone it down yeah i loved how discovery was able to do this because it's so important and i think that um you know there's a lot of controversy the time we're recording this uh right around christmas happiest season came out on hulu which was about uh, a lesbian couple and it was a coming out story and in the lgbtq community there's a lot of people that were upset that it was another movie or show with a coming out story and so like because they're like guys there's more to us than that and so i liked how in discovery at no point was it a big deal mm-hmm. it was just Part of the world, and and no no crew members made snide comments. No one, there was no like a woman interested in a man. It's like oh I'm gay. Oh you are. You don't seem gay. You know like there's no weird things. It's just, it just made that it real. Way. It, it made it real. It made the the whole not making a thing. It, it made it real. Exactly, and so and that's what we need right now. That's what we need. And so the next point um, I wanted to bring up was also. They're not in your face about just the general diversity when it comes to women on the show. I mean, can we... We haven't even mentioned, and again, it's... If you have no idea, when we talk about Michael Burnham, that's actually a woman. Yes. Michael Burnham is a woman, and uh, she is a strong-ass black woman who is smart as fuck, and you will never question whether she is right or not. Yep. I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but she's played by Sonequa Martin-Green, who the writing for her character and the and her acting execute. It's like the it's like they wrote a story for a like they named them Philip Giorgio and um, Michael Burnham mm-hmm. wrote the whole fucking script and said, "All right, swap the genders. We're going with it." Yep. Yeah, uh, and and it became Philippa Giorgio and Michael Burnham. <laughs> and the fact that they kept my, like how interesting and, is yeah. that? Yeah, and that's I mean that is one of the Star Trek legacies. Um, you know, back in the original series, having a, a black bridge officer with Uhura. Um, I think I think Star the original series had the first interracial kiss on TV. It did with with Uhura. I remember hearing yeah. about that with um, Shatner. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then with Deep Space Nine, like you had like Next Generation, like you had fem- like prominent female characters but they were still in um like caregiver positions the doctor the count the ship's mm-hmm. counselor stuff like that sure whereas deep space nine first and then voyager into deep space nine had major kira who is a badass a badass terrorist i remember reading an interview one time with nana visitor when she said she she drove to her uh, audition blasting dmx in her car to like get in the mood of playing that character because she's just a badass yeah um i I think the one thing I realized, especially towards the end of the season, I, I was looking at, you know, most of Star Trek is the main, uh, what do they call it, where like the captain's chair is the main deck, you will. Uh, the bridge? Yeah, 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 the main bridge. Um, I'm looking at the cast, like the two, we'll say like the pilots, 
both women, one white woman, one black woman. We have a robot who's over here uh, that's clearly, uh, I think, played by uh, a female actress. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have a black communications officer. Saru, played by Doug Jones, is a Kelpian. Mm-hmm. Um, not uh, even human. Not even human. Uh, but he is played by a white man in weird stilettos. <laughs> <laughs> so that's got to count for something, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael is obviously a, a black woman at the beginning. Giorgio, an Asian woman. Uh, uh, there's also an Asian man who is one of the crew people on the main bridge as well. I think he's in weapons. Uh, Tyler, I, I believe, is a person of color. He's Egyptian IRL, but I don't know what he is. Yeah, but like that was the thing I was looking at. I'm like, besides Lorca, and then you know Stamets, but he's not on the bridge. Well, and he's and like also, what fucking albino or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> but like Lorca, I'm like, he's the only white man. And then he becomes evil and is killed. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what did you want to say? Oh, nothing. Yeah, well, I was. I, I thought of something incorrectly. Oh. Um. So yeah, and, and Tilly, uh, a woman, and then Stamets and Culber, who were you, you know both men, but they were an, uh, a, a biracial uh, homosexual couple. And so mm-hmm. I just, I was looking at the show. I was like, yeah. I am loving this uh, because it feels diverse without it being like, hey, hey, look over here. We have a very diverse cast. Lots Mm -hmm. of uh, strong women. One thing I wanted to mention, just all of the little, like, kind of uh, nerdy shout outs in Hidden Discovery also, that the name Stamets is the name of a famous mycologist that lives today. Oh, okay. They literally, they named Paul Stamets, the character, is named Afriger. Paul Stamets, the mycologist, who is a famous mushroom expert. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Um, did not know that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just think that this show, uh, they're able to do these things without it being a big deal. And the fact that um, it's... One moment that recently came out in movies, and, and we've kind of talked about the three of us, is the moment in Avengers Endgame where oh. they throw all the female heroes for one particular scene, and it feels very just like, look at all the women we have. They're badass, strong women. You see? They're all right here. They're all right in a row. They're all in the same shot. Can you it's... hear the music? It's swelling just it, like your heart. It reminds me of, it reminds me of South Park, the strong woman episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, to be fair, I look at that moment and I'm like, well, this is this means a lot to little girls out there yeah. you know watching that but and like that's fine but, and that's fine but don't tell me a grown ass 30 something year old woman to to like be like you know what disney you're doing it yeah you it, finally got around <laughs> exactly <laughs> um even though so many of these movies star men and like the main woman is usually a love interest uh so that's where you look at comparison of big heavy franchises or even uh Star Wars, for example, you know, Ray, they try to make a strong female character, but the problem is uh, a lot of people complained that she was a Mary Sue character. She was too perfect. Uh, she had no flaws, and da 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 da. And like these, everyone in the cast, uh, especially the main cast, feels like well rounded characters that have arcs, that have mm-hmm. emotions. They're not, none of them are perfect by any means. I mean, just the fact that Michael Burnham starts the series having to do a mutiny 
to her best friend slash mentor yeah. and then starts a war. <laughs> yeah, they're drivers of the plot. Yeah, and she has to take the entire series to try to make up for that mistake. And she has to use her brains and her heart and her strength and she makes plenty of mistakes along the way. She is not perfect and they never shove it in your face. And I think it was like Joss Whedon that said once that like, they're like, oh, why do you write strong female characters? He's just like, because the fact that we have to say strong female characters, like, why can't they just be strong characters? You know, <laughs> why does it have to be that? Yeah. And he's like, until we stop asking that, that's why I'm going to keep doing this. And I think that's something that Discovery did so well in, in so many forms is uh, show Michael and Giorgio. And like, I love just the, the overall arc of Tilly. You know, she's a very... Uh, uh, a timid and nervous uh, character who uses her brains and speaks up for herself and helps being very crucial by the end of the season to help save the day. And she's quirky. She's a redhead. Um, she's curvy. She's not what, you know, her archetype is like, I've disappointed my family. Like, I've never been good enough for my for my mom and this is who I am and take me as I come. Yeah. And thank God you do because she's fucking amazing. Yeah. And she, she says, I think in one of her first scenes like that, she wants to be accepted into the captain program someday. And, uh, I like the arc that they take throughout the season with her character. And we'll talk about some of the characters, um, where she starts to gain more confidence and, uh, Michael starts to bond with her, uh, with their relationship and uh friendship wise and also like you're saying she's an attractive curvy woman and who's not like a sex symbol which that's one thing i remember there's a scene it was in a trailer of one of the jj movies where i think it was uh i can't remember the actress's name but there's a quick shot where she's like in her underwear and it's for like a quick second and i remember a lot of people even said like really jj do we need do we need yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, it was in the, uh, the 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 Wrath of Khan remake where it was just there was an act, there was no point into her being there. She just was like you know the male gaze like peering around. Yeah, which I think someone even pointed out to me who had seen the full movie. They're like, yeah, that serves no like character development or plot point. It's literally we have an attractive actress. We wanted to put her in as little clothes as possible. Yeah, for a quick second, almost as if so they could put it in the trailer. Yeah, and <laughs> while the show has a love story with Michael and Tyler. There's never overt, you know, sexual... They don't sexualize the women. They don't use these attractive actresses just because they're like, they're attractive, let's look at their bodies, look at them, you know. It's always about the plot, it's about the action, it's about the the character moments. It's, it's just, I don't know, I think it's so well done. Yeah, there's actually... Um... So there was only one character on Next Generation that wasn't wearing a uniform. It was always um, uh, Marina Sirtis, Counselor Troy, was basically always in a cat suit. Um, and they actually, and that was because the uh, that the producers wanted her to be like the sex symbol of the show. So she always had these this plunging neck, like V-neck cat suit on. Of and course, they actually worked, you know, because you know Next Generation came on the air, I believe, in '87 or '88, and it went off the air in the mid '90s, and like. Opinions had already started changing by the mid-90s. They actually worked her change into the show, um, where a different captain took over for a brief arc and was like, I want officers on my bridge to wear real uniforms. And so he made her change clothes, and then for the rest of the series, she was like, I like wearing a uniform. Nice. Yeah. So, 
one thing I will have to say, which was historic, was we did see Klingon titties. <laughs> we did see Klingon titties. Yeah. So. so there were lots of respectable women, women, but we did get to see the first canon titties. <laughs> and that is in the canon Klingon titties. We, we've seen a lot of Klingon cleavage before in like Next Generation, but never a full on Klingon titty. How many Star Trek fans like, like were like, yes, uh, what I've been drawing in my notebooks is true. <laughs> like, Enya is queued up right now. Da, 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 da. Klingon titties. Uh, yeah, so I think that's just one thing I really wanted to bring up. Uh, of What I saw, at least with this first season, was the respectability of the diversity of women of you know just generally with the writing you know for everyone it was not any of the cliches that other shows have problems with you know like mm-hmm. game of thrones was a big show that had to really just like ah tits 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 violence you know so if you wanted to talk about um what you were just saying as far as other shows in the past were trying to be you know uh, forward with their thinking, yeah. but then Paramount was like, no, 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 we need sexiness. Yeah, well, Voyager especially, you know, they, they, they deliberately flipped it, so you had women characters in positions that were normally held by men, uh, historically in the series, and then men that were in positions that had historically been held by women. So you had, you know, a male doctor, a woman captain, a woman chief engineer in Voyager. Um, so it was just kind of trying to put women in, and it, it was showing them in a, in a position that just the shows hadn't historically shown them in. Um, but then I think it was either, I think it was around season three of Voyager, maybe season four, where Paramount was said, like, you don't have any sex symbols in this show, so let's bring in Jerry Ryan in a skin-tight metallic cat suit in high heels um, to, like, a, 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 an outfit that Jerry, uh, Jerry Ryan herself has, like, said it made it hard for her to breathe. It made, uh, there was a lot of stress with the cast, but it's because Paramount was like, this show needs a sex symbol. Of course. Always need a sex symbol. Um, so we've been talking about a lot of the season, um, a lot of the, the twists, the arcs, the Klingon titties. Um, <laughs> uh, with this show, I'd love to hear who, who is your guys's, uh, did you have a favorite character or like a favorite arc that stuck out? Um, I, I'll start. My favorite was I love the character of Saru. Um, I mean, he grew so much. He grew so he, much. And he went from like being this like annoying, like you just you want to be like, oh look at this annoying toady, basically like what the fuck is he? Well, yeah, like he. I remember I didn't like him in the first episode yeah. or so because he starts off like Kel- I did warn you though. Yeah, Kelpians have like a basically like these little tentacles that kind of come out of their head that like when they're ganglia yeah with uh for is it for danger right yeah uh, they can smell they can sense uh death yeah death and and extreme danger and i was like oh is this just gonna be the guy that's always complaining you know because most dramas and shows you know not just star trek have a complaining that character. would be like Odo or like Data, right? Did he? No, they yeah. were Odo and Data were more like fish out of water type characters, where it's like they they were both a, very alien to the world, and people had to explain a lot of things to them. I'd say like a complaining character. No, I don't know. Odo was always very like 
on guard. He was well, high. Yeah. He was very vigilant because yeah. I know he's the security. But that, that's kind of what I'm reacting to. Mm. Yeah, I guess you. you yeah, that, I, I was thinking more of like kind of like whiny, like whiny kind of complainy characters that are always like, "But wait a minute, we should blah 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 blah." Exactly, and that's what I afraid he was going to be. I was like, "Oh, so Michael and Giorgio are going to be the badasses, and then Saru's going to be um well actually, and like he's going to be." <laughs> really annoying mm-hmm. um and then pretty soon we learned that that's like the arc of his character is to um both like he had to earn trust back with michael after the betrayal of Giorgio because he was on shenzhou with her um and to kind of start taking the role as captain and know that like you, there are risks and death is a possibility but they're at war and you can't just run from everything. And I thought an episode that I... It actually took until after I went back and thought about it. There's an episode where him, Tyler, and Michael are on this planet um, for like some sort of research. I can't remember the exact details. But basically, he gets kind of almost brainwashed by the planet. And he attacks them because he wants to stay. And at the end of the episode, there's this moment. He's like, you know, for the first time in my life... I. I I was at peace and like I wasn't afraid and I was like oh my god uh, I like I feel for this character mm-hmm. and then to see where he ends up towards the end of season one I was just like I want him to be the captain you know I love him uh, I love Doug Jones's uh, portrayal as him I love how he was written throughout the season to build to where he got to be at the end mm-hmm so, um, was there, I mean, how'd you guys feel about Michael, you know, as obviously she starts this war and by the end of the season helps put the war at ease. I mean, did you, uh, what'd you guys think of, uh, her character or Lorca or. I, I really like Michael Burnham. Like, I don't, I don't even know what to, where, where to start with Michael because I think that her character showed me that there's no such thing, pretty much no such thing as a lose-lose situation. She somehow always is able to navigate a situation to become a win. Mm-hmm. And that's in, in like, insane ways, and I don't know. It, it takes a lot of strategic know-how and whatnot, and, and science know-how that... Obviously, I know it's written... It's just that I lo- I like that portrayal of, of someone. And she's also just she's a very clearly a deeply flawed, deeply flawed character. Like she's emotional. Al- yeah, she's always like she's always trying to do what she thinks is the best thing in the moment. But you know she's not operate. She's she she does let her emotions get in the way. She does let her anger get in the way. Like you can you can see that you can see those moments where she's going through and she's I mean she's at uh, um Sonequa Martin Green plays her so well, but she's also just this deeply flawed main character. Well something we actually haven't said, which I found interesting for her backstory, is she was raised uh she was adopted by a human mom and then Sarek mm-hmm. uh Spock's dad. So a Vulcan. So she was raised kind of like almost to be a Vulcan, even though she's human. Yeah. Um, so she is... Const- and she's obviously... She was orphaned by um, like a Klingon attack. 
Yeah, a Klingon attack that killed her family, and um, I think it was very interesting to see how Vulcans, uh, from what I understood, because I didn't fully know that except for like maybe Wrath of Khan, that uh, they're kind of emotionless. Yeah. And so she's raised to be that way, but she has emotion. She's a human. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's constantly struggled with that. They're and, not complete. They're not emotionless, but they're trained to always. Like they're like that. It's basically like stoicism at its like purest form. So like they they have emotions, but they never they never show them. They never let it impact their thinking. At least that's that's the the Vulcan ideal. Yeah, definitely. And so I I found that very interesting for the writing of her character was um, she was constantly at adversity and having to fight authority. Um, because it's seeming like, oh, well, it can only go this way. And she's like, no, I think there's another way, like you were saying. Like, that's not always lose-lose. Oh, did you have a favorite character? Actually, I would say... Um, I would say Lorca. And part of it I would say facetiously because... <laughs> uh, Jason Isaacs eventually ended up being a villain, and Jason Isaacs not being a villain is like watching a Sean Bean movie without getting a death scene. So, <laughs> so I just like the fact that, uh, that Lorca... Ended up being, but ended up being a villain, and and uh, and um, fulfilling my expectations there. But I also just think he was he was played very well. Like Monica had pointed out to me some of the small details that she saw with like some of the stuff that he would do on his monitor on like a second watch through, where he would like deliberately enter in like incorrect information or something like that. Um, and but he was also like it made sense in the it made sense in the story why his character behaved the way he did when they had his whole story arc about how you know he lost his ship and his eyes were damaged and that's why he needed these eye drops and s- small details like that um and i then, just in the first watch through i did not catch the way that he would deliver certain lines or how the music would change to like where you where you know when you're un- not suspecting this whole storyline it's just like he's a, a powerful man and for some reason it's intense but then actually the music is telling you he's fucking evil it's an yeah. ominous undertone yeah, yeah yeah it's always like yeah his his i've been hearing this word a lot lately because i've been listening to to some music theory stuff about light motifs and characters and his is like a very dark ominous his is very dark and ominous anytime he's on screen it doesn't really mesh mm-hmm. with being him being a federation captain yeah well Uh, and i think like you were saying like the first time you watched it you didn't quite sense it i i was like suspicious because like you said it's jason isaac i loved watching you see that resting villain face Mm -hmm. um and well because like he's introduced in episode three and the episode three ends where, like, they just escaped getting away from the tardigrade. It's like, oh, my God, that shit was intense. And then, sure enough, cuts to him and Landry, and he's like, do you have the, you know, the whatever? And she's like, yep. And it shows that, like, he caught the tardigrade. So, like, his first episode, it shows that, like, he's hiding things. And I did not know the level of which he was going to be hiding things, but the, what's so fascinating is now that we know... He ends up as Terran Larka. It makes me want to someday, once I finish seasons two and three and whatever, by the time I get there, go back and notice all the little things that you noticed where it was just like him saying things and acting a little differently because it it will probably make sense. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want spoilers on seasons two or three yet, but I'm, I'm still curious, like, is their universe Larka alive? And if so, where is he? 
Um, it makes me really curious. Because yeah. <laughs> little things that I would notice is when he would sleep with the one admiral. I can't remember her name. Um, would they sleep together? They, they, there's oh, one of us right, where they slept right, yeah. together. She's just like, you're acting different. And then like he has to, he like does something to kind of betray her. Mm-hmm. And when, when she kept saying you're different, I'm like, all right, either he's scarred and he's different or like something's going on with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very interesting. I did not know it would be that kind of a heavy series altering twist because mm-hmm. he was the captain of Discovery. <laughs> That's the yeah. thing. Um, he wasn't just a security officer or a head or a commander. He was the captain Mm -hmm. um which the only other thing i also want to just touch on is the stuff with tyler because i kept thinking i'm like there's something fucking up with this guy the reason why is because he was written to be such uh he's introduced as a prisoner of war so you obviously feel for him for like the torture and everything uh, the torture and everything. Um, not he's, to a close. Tra- he's a Trojan horse is what he is. Yeah, and then just the fact that he goes right into a love story with Michael. And he's a security officer. And he is a head... Like, he's heroic. He's attractive. Even Tilly's just like, oh my God, look at him. You know, he's like so perfect. He's perfect. He's kind. He's smart. He's badass. He's all the things I'm like, all right. He's either a fucking Klingon or he's evil in some way. Or like he works for the Klingons or like something because he just seems too perfect. Or my only other guess when I was watching it was they're setting him up to be so great so that when he dies much like they did with Culber, it'll be heartbreaking. But uh, the fact that he's the one that kills Culber, I was just like, oh, fuck, what the fuck? You effectively lose both of them at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It's one moment that changes so much. And so I guess I was curious, when you guys were watching, did you pick up anything um, for the Tyler storyline? How he was introduced in episode five and then is featured so heavily? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of like I rewatched that episode because that was also the episode that introduces uh, Mud, who is a character from the original series. Rain Wilson plays you know uh, Fenton Mud um, in the in the prison with them. Um, And no, I don't really think there was anything like when I rewatched that episode. I don't think there was anything that really like jumped out to me other than the fact that he was like still alive and the Klingons should have killed him by this point. Um, Yeah. Other than, but they they explain that away by saying like he had became become like the favorite like sexual toy of uh, um, of the 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 woman Klingon Laurel Laurel thank you yeah yeah uh, AKA Klingon titties <laughs> <laughs> which I was really because I didn't know anything about Klingons I was like did she impregnate. Tyler. Yeah, he, that was a theory I had because I was like, I don't know how their bodily functions work. Yeah, you know, can she has an ovipositor? Yeah. <laughs> well, like you know, seahorses, the 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 male gets pregnant, so I'm like, I don't know how this works. Uh, so that was my theory was like there he had a Klingon baby in him. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe it was like, like it was like PTSD. That like it was it was like he yeah. had been like that. That's what I was thinking. I think I with his character that it was, was like PTSD from like him being tortured in prison or him getting raped by Laurel. Sure. Um, and yeah, so it turned out to be very different than like I, I had some ideas, but it was not what I what I thought it was going to be. And something else that I think is progressive about that choice is that wasn't a, a, like a female damsel in distress character the person dealing with PTSD like that is a man mm-hmm. and is the security officer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they didn't give 
something like that to a woman who she was captured and she's forever like kind of like changed like they didn't do like like Sansa Stark you know uh, yeah. uh, who like for a long time was a victim yeah it's like he the man was like that and then like Saru was afraid you know it's like they make the men uh, either evil or like a little bit more victimized whereas like the women are the ones that are I would just say that all characters have their, their have their flaws yes like like every every character, I'd say like I mean some of them are definitely more flawed than others. Like like Lorca being actually an evil like Terran uh, infiltrator, um, but like Stamets is a flawed character. You see like how robotic he gets with his work and how like how like he dismisses Tilly sometimes how in he, the beginning. Yeah, how he how he's so how he's so dismissive as as a workaholic. I I can empathize with that, but like how he, how much he. How like non-human that he acts when he's when he's uh, working versus like you know those more human moments we get with him with Culber, but just all of the characters like have their they're all realistically flawed in 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 some way. Yeah, and they're all that I think that one that's one of the things that makes these characters so strong is there isn't none of them are one-dimensional. Even the more minor characters like like uh, Rika Sharma's character, the uh, the security officer that gets killed by the tardigrade, like she's I think as close to like a one-dimensional character as there is. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's still like you know, obviously somebody like that is going to gravitate to somebody like Lurka. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think yeah, it's just it the the characters are so well rounded, and I think the reason why the show has been hitting me in such a way is because this is very rare for television to just be hitting so many things on so many fronts, <laughs> um, much less a show that I never thought I'd really watch because I'm like, I'm not going to get CBS All Access. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, anyway, you know, I know we've talked about a lot of different things in season one. Uh, did you guys have, for the season, um, any final thoughts or things that we didn't touch on, uh, whether it was moments or characters or general thoughts? I thought there was a, so one of the things that I really enjoyed was just every every now and then you would see like that they kind of you know th- this was a very difficult series for them to write I think because this takes place on the timeline in between Enterprise and uh, the next generation uh, Enterprise in the original series mm-hmm. um, in terms of the Star Trek timeline they had already said it was going to be set in kind of like the main universe not like the J.J. Abrams universe um, so there's I mean there's a half a century worth of worth of canon for them to try to figure out um and uh yeah every now and then i would just catch like little glimpses here like they mentioned like captain jonathan archer who is the captain of the enter of uh in the enterprise series mm. um they, they referenced him in, in one in one episode um they had uh fenton mud harcourt fenton mud i think his name is rain wilson's character um they made some references they made some like references to like uh, like episodes of Deep Space Nine, like it, when, when one of the funniest episodes of Deep Space Nine is called the House of Cork, and it references this ancient Klingon house called Dagor. Um, and one of the Klingons, when they're going through like the Klingon roll call, uh, when the Klingon houses are coming in, one of the Klingons is from the House of Dagor. <laughs> so they, they they're definitely like. Clearly, Trekkies wrote this show. Yes. <laughs> well, and but that was that was one of the things I'd seen when I was trying to see like what are people criticizing this show for, and it's like clearly, clearly this show is written by people that don't know Star Trek. So I I just really didn't know if that were was true. But it, I mean, from all like from watching it with you, I feel like that's 
not the gays. No, I feel like they did as much as they could to, like, kind of stick within, like I said, 50 years worth of canon, which also doesn't, like, that 50 years of canon doesn't already, It's there's a lot of conflicts within it's that It's already canon. a mess. It's already a mess. When you go back to watch to, like, Next Generation, like, nobody remembers that technically Federation ships aren't supposed to go faster than, like, Warp 5, I think it is, because it tears apart the galaxy, which was an episode of Next Generation, because, like, after, like... Six episodes are like this is stupid. They just they just they just stop doing it. Yeah, um, I. It doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve us. So it was never a thing on Deep Space Nine or Voyager that you're not supposed to go fast than like the, the 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 Federation speed limit for warp speed or whatever it was in that episode of Next Generation. Yeah, well, I I I I, I compared Star Trek to comic books because I feel like they've both been around for like you know 50, 70, 80. You know they they've both been around a pretty similar length of time and they're both messy with their continuities and i think Mm -hmm. that's why for a long time i was confused on where to start what to watch am i gonna things gonna be confusing not Mm -hmm. add up uh but this show clearly from a trekkie perspective uh did the best they could Mm -hmm. um and And navigated it well yeah navigated it well yeah and is also from someone like me who is the least trek fan in this room i think it's just a fantastic television show that like you don't need to be a i would say i didn't need to be a trek fan in any way to enjoy this there was nothing that was confusing there was nothing that i was like oh i feel lost you know some people are worried with the marvel movies or star wars like will things not add up will i be confused if you start with discovery you'll be fine and you'll have fun yeah Yeah. like if people want to say things that like oh this doesn't make sense in in discovery uh, but your favorite, one of your favorite episodes of Next Generation is, I think it was The Visitors. Um, it was the one where they, uh, you know, they find two survivors left on a planet that had just been exterminated. Um, they don't know, they, they eventually find out what's going on. It turns out that the woman is actually dead and the man, the man is actually a superhuman, like a, like a, like a, uh, uh, omnipotent, almost omnipotent creature called a Dowd. Um, and he's just projecting her, uh, as though she's still alive. But then he says that he got his revenge by killing. He's like, I killed the entire species that attacked us. I killed. They were like, like, oh, you blew up the ship. He's no, I killed them all. All five hundred billion of them, all wiped out in a second. And then we never hear about the Husnak again. So it's like that was the name of the species that had attacked the planet. And it's like, so you're telling me like five hundred billion people in the galaxy near Federation space just vanished, and then everybody was like, oh, moving on, moving <laughs> next week. <laughs> well. Time for lunch. Time for hopscotch. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, as someone who's uh, you know you've interacted with some movies, some shows like it, this. I, I'm not really somebody that's like a um, a fan. I'm not a fanatic in anything. I'm a fanatic over my knives. I I like bikes. I'm that kind of a, a nerd, but I don't. I'm not a huge like. Pop culture. Pop culture. Like, I don't have any sort of um, allegiance. And I have a lot of fun when I watch this show. And it's um, thought-provoking and sensitive. And it's it touches all the right things where I don't feel it gets um, preachy or weird at any points. And... Um, there, there was one moment in this la- latest season, but that's I'm not going to get into that. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to meet again for season two and like an eventually season three chat. Yeah. Um, I do need to correct myself. The epi- the name of that episode was The Survivors. I just need to defend my Trek cred. Because uh, there's, there's a lot of episodes that start with the something. The Visitor was an episode of Deep Space Nine. The Survivors was the episode of Next Generation. I was referring to, I knew I had it wrong, and it was driving me nuts. Well, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, it's been uh, a pleasure uh, talking about the show. Keep watching. I love see. I've 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 been yeah. still loving the series. Yeah, well, watch it. Watch it, and don't even stress about having heard this because it, you're gonna have a good time. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I guess one thing I'll ask you guys because you've seen seasons two. Is season three done? It's it. It, it just finished. We're we're about to watch the last episode. Okay. So. As far as like season two and almost all of season three, would you say that the the quality has stayed consistent? It's improved. Season it's three improved. is season three. Wow. Season, <laughs> season, season three. Well, fuck me. Uh, no, see, I just season, like came this entire episode, but how season one so good? Season three has been my favorite, actually. Jesus Christ! All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I I agree. Like, sure. I, I know we spoiled a lot. If you have any thoughts about watching, it does the show. not slow down. Just keep watching. It doesn't slow down. Just watch it. It's so much fun. Um, you know, if you know spoilers, whatever, just... There's so much that we didn't cover, even though we covered a lot for the last hour. Um, but uh, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on the podcast. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to chat again for Season 2. Thanks for having us. Thank you.